You just don't, you know, there's too much guesswork, which is why doctors do not sign up for these new codes that Medicare's like, check us out. We've got a new code. Like all the doctors are like, no, 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 no. Too complicated. Because it's too scary. It's because you CMS have not done your job to put together a truly comprehensive set of rules and requirements and minimum criteria for the codes in a way that's easily digestible for the doctor. Welcome to the Mastering Medicare podcast, where we demystify healthcare and Medicare for senior serving professionals and providers with your co-hosts, Dr. Alex Moseni and Dr. Amy Schiffman. Visit masteringmedicare.net for show notes, additional episodes, and valuable resources. Okay, everybody, welcome. This is uh, Alex Moseni, your co-host and co-host Amy Schiffman. Great to have you guys back. And we want to start off by apologizing for skipping a little bit we're of time. Being busy. Yes. COVID <laughs> we're so busy. sorry we're busy. Uh, I just moved and actually our house is on the market and it's, uh, yeah, anyways, whatever. Nobody well, cares. Maybe we'll do a plug for that at the end of the show. <laughs> and I just started um, my new position in the past several months as the chief medical officer, Jessa. So it's been COVID, 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 COVID. Oh my God, Alex, COVID, COVID. I know. COVID. Wait, why don't you tell everybody what is Jessa? Oh, Jessa is a human services organization. It's a non-sectarian, JSSA. It actually stands for Jewish Social Service Agency, and it provides care from the youngest to the oldest in primarily Montgomery County, but basically metropolitan Washington, D.C. We have three departments our serving department. We have a case management department. We have a hospice, and we have a private duty agency. We also have on what I don't want to call it the other side of the agency, but we also have a huge behavioral health component. And we are one of the very few agencies in the county that provides behavioral health and does take insurance. We do specialized employment. We have a Holocaust survivors program. There's just a panoply of services. And I could totally go into it on a different, we'll do it on a different podcast. We'll talk about Jessa, but for the most part, it's keeping me very busy. It is possibly one of the most committed group of people I have ever met in my entire life. It is a mission-driven, wonderful organization that has basically not skipped a step during COVID. Our care managers are still taking care of clients. Our hospice nurses are heroes and still taking care of patients, as well as the chaplains and the social workers and the home health aides. We have an amazing number of people from Premier, which is our home care agency. They are still taking care of their clients, wearing full PPE, head to toe, all day. It's kind of incredible. What would you say are the like the top three things that Jessa does? So we have senior services, behavioral health, and we have a huge referral source for people who are looking for sort of just general social services. Got it. Awesome. Awesome. Cool. Cool. Uh, so I, on a recent, on some recent episodes, we talked about the fact that I tried to start my own medical practice. Why does that sound so sad? What do you? I tried. Sure. You, wait a minute. <laughs> Sorry, you have started a practice. I you started a practice. Tried. It's like you're practicing well, the practice. Well, I started a practice with the goal of trying to figure out, you know, if, if I Why choose it. Why is so past tense? I know. Does that mean we have failed? It is. All right, well, just spill the, spill the beans. What happened? Yeah, it's, you know, running your own practice is not pleasant at all. Uh, no, it's from incredibly the, it, difficult. Not only difficult, it's so frustrating. And it's, it's, 
you know, for me, it's particularly frustrating because I happen to practice telemedicine on the SiriusMD platform where we don't have to generate billable encounters. We just talk to patients and uh, all the payments are essentially taken care of in, in a special contract that we have. But when you get into the quote unquote regular world of, med of running a medical practice where every single thing you do, you're trying to turn into a billable event, Oh my gosh. So it's it's it, great. Well, you have to know all the billing codes and you have to know exactly how they work. And can you do this one with that one and that one with this one? And there's just no, there's no way disaster. to know. It's a you're, disaster. You're all at risk. You are completely at risk from the minute you start a practice. Like it's not, you don't know if you're going to get paid for the service until after you've already done it. Well, so that's, <laughs> Okay, so that's a one level of risk. That's one right? level, yeah. One level of risk is, okay, I'm going to do all this work today, and I won't find out and, uh, that as to whether I get paid for it or not until weeks or months from now, number one. Correct. Okay. Yeah. Number two, even if I get paid for it, I don't really know that I got paid for it unless I'm willing to spend a significant amount of time reconciling continuously over time like, did all of my events from three months ago, all my encounters get paid and why or why not? And imagine it's reconciling it, every single day. Because, so the fact that some encounter wasn't paid for, from an encounter from four weeks ago wasn't paid could mean that the claim never went through. It got denied, What blah, 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 blah. Or it could mean the payer is just taking his it's time, right? Or so, not ever going to pay. Or they're not, so at what at what point do you say okay now I'm going to invest yet another thirty minutes of my precious time to investigate this missing twenty dollars fifty dollars hundred dollars whatever it is instead of taking care of patients right and so every day that goes by you are creating about I would say at least a hundred loose ends every oh day my God. right You're that's creating, a, that's an amazing amazing data piece right there right? more than 100 i would say right. I, I would argue like, like the regular doctor who sees 20 30 40 patients a day if not more is creating several hundred loose ends every day and these loose ends have no definitive like uh threshold time at which like okay they failed to pay now we got to go do something so it's a logistical nightmare and now I feel even more empathy and sympathy for doctors who are trying to do this themselves. It's nearly impossible. So that's one level, okay? Now let's take it to another level of risk, which is, okay, let's say you do get paid and now you're getting, and you're like, oh, okay, I got paid for doing that. I must be doing it right. Let me oh, false, right? right? Yeah, right? because that's what's called the grab back, the audit, all of that. You right. are now at risk for saying, I did something. I'm pretty sure I did it right, but it wasn't so clear in the regs. And I didn't really understand what the documentation necessity was. And then suddenly you're like, I, mean, suddenly, I guess I'm right. Two or three years later, an audit gets done and yep. they go back and they say, wait a second, you didn't document this right. And you haven't been doing it right for two years. And now you owe us $200,000. And I'm not exaggerating. Like, this happens to doctors. 
Sure. Right? It these, absolutely these does. You put audit. the wrong place of service code. You right. put, I mean, because when you submit the charge, it's not like I did a level three visit and it was for chest pain. It's like you have to know that Medicare 1500 form, what to put in every single box. Like you could use a house call CPT code, like the typical coding, but if you forget to put the right place of service code, it's like a mismatch. Well, I said I did it in the home, but you didn't put the home place of service code, but I only used a CPT code that's only used for home-based visits. But if you put the wrong right. place of service code, it's like... And then COVID has made all of this worse because Medicare has basically said, well, during this COVID era, you do this other thing with place of service codes. Like they've, right, they've created new rules. Don't use this place of service because a lot of doctors are working from home. What does that mean? What should the place of service be? So I actually woke up in a panic um, <laughs> a, 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 a week or two ago because in my dream, I realized I put the wrong date of service for one of my codes. And I actually woke up in like a panic and sweat. Checked. And like, technically this is like fraud. Oh my fraud. God, this is what, so you actually do work for the man. You work for Medicare. It's crazy. We basically are, you are an employee of Medicare if you accept Medicare money. Yeah. And you have and to go by all I, their rules. I realized I'm simply not going to do it. I, well, I, re me, I refuse oh, to play this oh, game. Really? Okay, so this is honestly the first time you've ever just been like, nope. I'm not <laughs> going to do it. This is no. crazy. This and oh, so what, one more thing I want to add here. So I want to deep dive here because there's so many yeah, more questions. If we're, if we're done and we like, I quit and like mic drop and walk out, like rage quit. I love it. I want to know more about that. Well, so let me add that, you know, if if all you do is just see patients in the office or whatever. Okay, then you're limited to a few, you know, office-based codes with the date of service being the date, the date you saw the patient, right? So that's not that difficult. But if you're in a situation where you start doing chronic care management, remote patient monitoring, transitional care management, all these codes that are where like the date of service is a little bit more complicated. Now you have to track, okay, right. wait, some and of these wait, are 30 days. And where's your EMR in any of this? The EMR is not helping. The oh, EMR is no, no. like, why would we in any way, you know, wrap around these crazy complicated codes? They, they don't. They force you to have Excel spreadsheets. Like, listen to this. Listen to this. Listen to this. I, third I, I, party Excel to help your EMR. Ridiculous. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. So, talk to me. Okay. So I get set up on my EMR and yeah. it's Athena, which overall is highly rated and I think quite functional. But one of my asks was like, okay, I'd like to see a list of all my patients. Uh, where is the button for that? There is no such thing. You have to create a report. What? I, I don't understand. There is no like, you, you didn't think that I would just need a list of my patients. Like I have to go create that myself. It's not like, I, I simply don't understand. So when you search for a patient, like I know my patients by their first name, you actually can't search by first name. Can I tell you, I once worked with an EMR that said you can't search by the first name. And I actually called the developer and, you know, did a typical Amy where I was like, can we talk? You know, I'm going to crawl through that entire system to be like, what were you thinking? This is, this is bananas. bananas. It, it, it's, it's incredible how usability in healthcare is just garbage. Well, I kind of wonder in that particular case, how in the boardroom, like if you put a single physician in that boardroom, would they have been like, yeah, you're right. They don't need to search by first name. That's ridiculous. 
Like, I, I mean, I feel like if they'd asked somebody, they would have known that. I, I mean, I've worked with other EMRs of the same thing. It's just, ve- it's very, the end user is not really the uh, primary thought when they're making yeah. stuff. Well, let me ask some other questions because there's a lot of reasons why people stop wanting to do stuff. Tell me about what the documentation burden was in all of this. Like, were you documenting like an hour plus for each page? Like, tell me the- <laughs> I remember, I remember the my very first encounter and I had a follow-up meeting with the person on Athena who was helping me get set up. Who, and they have been absolutely wonderful. I, I, right. I have it's, nothing it's but positive like- to say about the team from Athena. They've been absolutely wonderful. But she got on the, you know, she got on on the call with me, and she's like, "Oh boy," she said. I said, "What? What?" She's like, "We could see, like, through the, the metadata or whatever, that after your single encounter yesterday, you were documenting for like two hours." And I said, yeah, I, it took me two hours to figure out how to document one note. And that's despite all this training we've done. It's just not intuitive. I'm, it, I, I don't understand. It's all you got to do after a visit. There's a history. There's a physical exam, right? Review of system and an assessment and plan. And then you put in your orders. Why are we making this so complicated? I don't understand. Do you, does anybody who's creating these solutions ever, ever sit, sit down? Of, yeah, ever sit, sit down in front, in front of, of a patient? Yeah, or sit down in front of a doctor and say, I want to make this so intuitive that we actually don't need to train you for weeks or months to figure out how to do this. That is the, if, if a doctor can sit down and with less than one hour of training, know how to do everything that he or she needs to do, then you've done it right, well, that's right? But if it right. takes weeks or months and they still don't know how to do it, no, you the haven't done your asking, job. That's right. Well, the, it's almost like you want to ask for a small, medium, and large version of everything because yes. it seems like they delivered you the large. And yes. you really are only wanted the small, but they're like, oh, but you might want to, and you yes. might think of, and you want to, no, I want a place to put, you know, Medicare 95 or 97 ENM documentation guidelines driven spaces, you know, little blocks and allow me to pop through each one of them and maybe integrate them. If I say they have this past medical history, ask me about that in the assessment and plan. If I don't want it, I'll exit out. There is no intuitive because it's not necessarily always designed by doctors. They don't right. sit in front of people. But I, I'm actually going to go back to one thing. The documentation that you have to do in order to say that you did something, right? Like there's, you do it for the patient, you do it for Medicare, and then you do it for the lawyers. You've got three different parties that you are documenting for. And those three things may not all look the same. And so you end up having to document for all three of them in a single note, you know? Uh, Completely. And then, so... You know, I come from the emergency medicine world where, you know, I knew my my EM level codes in and out, right? How many of this and that you had yeah, to, yeah, yeah. to code each one. But now trying to do what primary care doctors do and internists and geriatricians, I have to learn new things, right? And so this has been the other like in, immensely frustrating thing, which is that for each of these codes, whether it's RPM, transitional care management, CCM, all of these, there isn't a single reliable comprehensive source that I can go to to say what are all the requirements for documentation to to for this code so and 
what are all the requirements, the rules, the, 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 it's so gray. the, the do this, do not do they this. They create gray. They it, create not, a gray space. Right. So you, you, it's not on CMS. And what are you going to do? You're going to go read that thousand page, like conversation piece where they, folks ask questions and then try to decipher, well, what, okay, I guess I should, it is verbal consent or is it written consent? Like, Holy like, cow. Where do I, like, do I document in the chart note or is it considered to be the medical record if it's sitting in that weird space in their demographics or you just, do, you know, there's too much guesswork, which is why doctors do not sign up for these new codes that Medicare's like, check us out. We've got a new code. Like all the doctors are like, no, 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 too complicated. It. Because it's too scary. It's because too you CMS have yeah. not done your job to put together a truly comprehensive set of rules and requirements and minimum criteria for the codes in a way that's digestible, easily digestible for the doctor. You haven't like done your job. A, B, yes. C. If you do A, B, and C, we'll pay you. And we won't like come back in this weird way and ask for an audit. And then you're going to be like, oh, I didn't know I had to. And because it just wasn't so clear, it, it is, it is convoluted. And and they, I know that there, if somebody from CMS was listening, they'd be like, well, it's in the MLN or we have the FAQs or we have this, but it's just not, it's like, you know, the two plus two is four, right? And you know that three plus three is six. And blah, those are like really well-defined things. They, they're making it too vague and by the way it may then change from different carrier each mac may look different yeah. novitas is going to look different potentially from palmetto in its inter interpretation yeah. why should medicare rules and laws have an interpretation just tell us what the law is tell us what the rules are we will follow them yes do you know wait, do, can i just tell you the craziest thing so when I first started my practice and they were like, we are starting annual wellness visits. This was like a new code, the G0439 or whatever it is that that new code was coming out. And I was so excited because it was money that was going to come without a percent pay. The, the patient wasn't going to be left with any money. Like it was just part B was going to pay hundred percent of it. We could do it in the January of a year where perhaps some of people's, you know, deductibles were getting eaten up and maybe you know, patients weren't going to be able to pay. And it was sort of a way of tiding over revenue as well, revenue stream. And I remember thinking to myself, yes, this is going to be awesome. Okay, let's sit down and learn how to make an annual wellness visit. And it was as if it was the hardest thing in the end. I mean, like I couldn't figure out, I was like, if I do this, is it wrong? Like if I don't ask who, if you're, if you have a podiatrist and I don't put that podiatrist name in the annual wellness visit, is that wrong? Or is it, like, do I have to get a blood pressure live or can, you know, I mean, it was just all of these different things were so, and what happens if the patient is bed bound and we can't get a weight and they want the BMI, like, yeah. what do we, can we do an estimated BMI? And there's like no guidance for any of it. So it actually took me eight months to design the final version of the annual wellness visit that I felt like was I mean, audit proof to whatever degree I felt like I could. And guess what? In the Medicare regs, it said like each AWV should be between 20 and whatever amount of minutes. I think mine was like an hour and 45 minutes because I was like, I just piled, 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 piled. I was so terrified of not meeting the minimum requirements that I yeah. overdid it. People didn't want to do it. And so it's, it's like you couldn't win. And the EMR was not really set up to do it. Like it had its own version, which didn't apply to my patient population, which was all 85 and above. So it's it's like weird. Like 
you you have to keep iterating on what are cons- what you consider basics. What are the basics? And the basics become almost so hard. Like you are seriously, you're gonna like stop. I'm blushing. That like one of the smartest people I've ever met. And if it's this hard to do for someone like you. I like really don't actually understand how people are ever going to be expected to become independent physicians contracting with Medicare and not want to be like, peace, I'm going to go work for a huge hospital based system or an insurance company. I don't see I don't see how it's possible. I think it's I think it's impossible in today's era as we move to more value based care. uh, Value based care requires the doctor to do document and play these games in a much more convoluted environment where the rules are not clear and the programs are so complicated. So I, it's, I think it's impossible for a doctor to, to succeed in this environment in a small practice. You have to be part of, at le- I'm guessing, at least 50 to $100 million organization that has enough money to pay for a really Lawyers, good team. consultants, yeah, to, to develop these things so that the doc's not like, wait, do I have to come up with the policies and procedures for how we're going to bill RPM if we bill RPM, which we don't trust because we don't want to go? I mean, it just keeps going. Well, let me ask a question. How many total patients did you end up seeing, Alex? I have about 10 patients for whom some of them I'm um, doing more kind of behavioral health stuff. Um, Yeah. Some more remote patient monitoring, some just things like treating UTIs and simple things. I, I actually really enjoy the patient sure. portion. I love talking to to folks, especially seniors, and trying to get get them help and give them reassurance, especially in this COVID era. Yeah. I love that. But as soon as that portion's over, and now I have to figure out the the coding aspect, and then, God forbid, the billing aspect. Like one of my claims got sent out, and the patient uh, has supplemental insurance and. The, the secondary payer sent the check to the patient instead of sending it to me. And it's a small amount, whatever, like 20 bucks, something like that. But how did the accounting work suddenly? Yeah. So the thing is like, well, when am I going to spend time to now resolve this issue, right? Of uh, investigate why did the secondary send it to the patient as opposed to sending it to me? Like it's never worth my time to start doing that. And and so I, if you just multiply that by hundreds, I, I simply don't understand how a practice does this. I mean, this is why each practice has like eight to 10 Correct. office well, staff, right? right? I mean, I think we've talked about this, that every FTE of an MD, NP, or PA creates five FTEs of work somewhere in the healthcare system. It's either the guy at LabCorp or Quest. It's the person that works in your office. It's a billing person. It's somebody at Medicare. It's somehow five FTEs are created throughout the healthcare ecosystem for one FTE of a physician. Yeah. That's, you know, that's pretty profound. So it forced me to think about like, well, what would I do if I could fix this? And mm. I'll tell you, I... I remember when I finished residency, emergency medicine residency in 2006, and I started in a hospital in Northern Virginia, we were still on paper. And that paper is still the fastest and most comfortable environment for documentation that I have ever used. Check marks with little areas for free text. Mm -hmm. And I could document blindfolded, you know, in under 60 seconds, a relatively complicated encounter. 
zero stress, and then you hand it off to the billers to like figure it out. I love that. So what, and clearly there's issues with that, right? That you can't um, read handwriting. I mean, that like, blah, 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 blah. Yeah, blah, blah. Yeah. Okay. So we all know those issues. So what I would love to see, and if anybody wants to work on this, I will be the first to join as a consultant or a test subject is a paper interface for EMRs. Uh, I don't want to document the EMR, and and I, I I just I'm sorry I just hate it. Even though there's there's some macros and in there, and you are like so tech like you're oh, so yeah. tech friendly. Like it's almost like the irony of ironies. I'm like my my hands are on my head in disbelief. You take somebody who's incredibly tech savvy and be like, of course you want to document on the computer. No, I actually think it's awful that the documentation is such an impediment to progress. And do you know that? I actually have a friend who works in a gastroenterology practice who used to take one of their docs, just could not finish his documentation. He would have to take a week off to go back and finish his documentation. That wasn't a week that he should have been off. It was just, and people's brains don't all work the same. Like there's some people who can document as they go along. There's some people who have to document afterwards. And then there's people who are like a hybrid where they do like a little bit there and then a little bit later. But it's, it it becomes homework and yeah. like people hate homework no yeah. matter what you do even if you're an er doctor and you're like shift work or you're a primary care doctor who's like okay you're on call but like all in all you go in you do your job and then you know you get to go home you shouldn't be up all night doing documentation and people find themselves doing that and people in primary care it's so different than maybe like obstetrics where like it's almost the same exact task every single time you know like yeah. g1p blah 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 you know i don't mean to demean any way ob's i'm just <laughs> saying that their documentation is often it's fewer numbers of actual problems than a primary care doctor yeah who's dealing with the entire panoply of the icd-10 coding like manual like it could literally be anything in that entire freaking book that is on the ICD-10 code, you know, like, I mean, yeah, here's what I would like to see. Attack by space alien, like whatever the ICD-10 is for that Z code, you know, that Z code is, I don't know. You know? I would like to see somebody come up with paper. Bridges. Paper bridges. I love yes. that. Yeah. And, we'll and each, that. kind of like T-sheets in the, in the emergency medicine yeah, era. Yeah, I love those. Yep. Where, it, and, and T-sheets for value-based care. So think about this. Imagine somebody comes up with, and by somebody, it could be even CMS or the other payers, right? Say, hey, this is the RPM or CCM or TCM or annual wellness visit form, okay? It has everything that, just like a tax form, it has everything that you need in order to document this comprehensively in a way where you are not at audit audit proof. Exactly. So it tells you, these are the 10 things you need to address. And it just like an IRS form, if you said yes here, you don't need to fill out this section or you do or do not need, like very, very easy to follow instructions that you must do this. And I've never seen that. Have you ever seen that? I have never seen that. The closest thing I ever saw was there was a company and actually it was started by a local physician that used these big old chunky pens. And I think there was like a scanner paper and it had took some of the t-sheets and put it onto that and then they could document on the t-sheets and it did push it into the emr but it wasn't like it turned it into words you just saw a pdf of it on the screen so every time you stuck your pen back into this little port thing it like pushed the information up to the emr but it was still a pdf so it didn't i mean i bet you there are some but wouldn't it be kind of amazing if like one of the big emr companies like if you make your template and you put it up here, we will then send you on scan paper 
five gajillion yeah. versions of your template so that you can just feed them into a scanner and it, we will turn that that document into words for yeah. you. So or, add, or wait, 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 or yeah. I'm telling you this whole thing that Medicare does, like imagine if we just videotaped every single visit that we had, every single one, just videotaped it. Why do I have to tell you what I did? Just watch me. Yeah. I mean, I, I would have felt comfortable for that, like Google Glasses, and it just goes right into the EMR as a, as a whatever it is, some sort of video yeah. thing. And then basically if Medicare were audio, you'd be like, here's, here's my files. Have fun. And Watch here, away. Here's another idea. Here's another way to make paper better. But I think it should be obsolete, but keep going. <laughs> yeah. So imagine that. Well, like I like the fact that in the EMR, I can see all the meds are listed, all their past medical history, like all yep. that stuff is there, right? So instead of having blank templates for everybody, maybe at the beginning of the day, uh, you press a button and custom templates for each patient come out that you're going to see today, right? Where their meds and all that stuff are listed. And it's like, if you put a check mark next to the med, it automatically, once it gets scanned in, creates a refill or something. Like, make smart paper. Like, there's, dude, smart there's- Smart paper. A smart oh paper God. bridge for EMR. I think yeah. the doctors would go nuts for this because I can't stand this. This or It actually it could, makes or me angry. It could, it could actually be a third party where you could yeah. maybe API it. I mean, maybe could you yeah. create some sort of notebook where- it just prints out your version of your your template for whatever EMR it is, and then you scan it in, and maybe some API just pushes the data over. Oh, that sounds like a really great business. I mean, or ultimately, maybe not, but... ultimately, the point is that it's it's really way too hard to be a functional physician with all these new codes constantly changing and updating and being added. Um, well, and I'm going to add, I'm going to add insult to injury. You ready for this? Yeah. So you're taking care of older folks and you see a client or a patient, we'll call them patient, right? Of course you see a patient in your office or you see them in their home and you immediately recognize the need for either, let's say home health or hospice. Yeah. Okay. And you know that you want to push that order through, it's let's say 11 o'clock in the morning. And let's say you have a really smart EMR, you have a really great assistant who can send an order. You say, hello, you know, to whoever your MA is, can you please send an order or you tell your EMR to send an order directly to the home health agency? Please put this patient on your schedule. They need wound care, they need med management, whatever it's going to be. And you get that off within seconds. They get the referral. They're ready to go. The first thing they're going to ask you for is your entire chart note. And here you are in the client's home. You know it's going to take at least an hour maybe to yeah. get that going. Or maybe you're going to have to go see another patient. You're not going to have time to finish it. So it stacks, it stacks, it stacks. And they will not even see the patient unless they have a chart note. They need to have – they. so at every step of the way, this documentation gets in the way of real-time progress because you don't have – time to finish your chart note because it's time to move, 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 move. The patient's now waiting for maybe a, you know, a very important medical service like home health or even durable medical equipment. And the documentation actually backs up the whole system. Yeah. Sort of like, if you don't have it, then they don't have it, then they don't have it. And it, it is rather remarkable, this documentation thing. I mean, it turns so many people away from probably being primary care doctors. Like I've heard it before, right? You know, like yeah. who the heck wants to go through, you know, 
two of 10 ROS and two of 10, you know, organ systems when they do the physical exam. And then, oh my gosh, like just having to know all of that and then know it and then know it and then know it and then maybe, maybe change it. But then how does it interface with all the, it's, it's, it's a game. Just give us the forms. I love that. Just give us the, just give us the forms. Just give me an annual wellness form that you made up and I'll just do that form. Yeah. It's like the 1040 EZ man. Bring it. Yeah. Why not? They'll get exactly what they wanted. They'll get the, imagine they could then aggregate the data better because people would be getting uniform amounts of data on an annual wellness visit. Mm -hmm. Right. That is sort of dreamy. If I was a data analytics person at CMS. I mean, on another note, you know, I'm the medical director for AccuHealth, the remote patient monitoring company. And maybe this is what we need to do for RPM to help the doctors is create an RPM note form that they can just, you know, based on what we think are right. the requirements each month, whatever we can do to make it easier. Like a prescription like, pad. They yeah. would make it like a prescription pad or something like that. Yeah. But I think, I don't know. Well, let's just quickly ask this question. What percentage of those 10 patients have you gotten onto RPM? One, one patient. And there was one patient I thought who could really, another patient who I thought would could really benefit from it. And she just didn't want to do it. And the others, I just didn't think it was indicated. Yeah. Oh, nice judicious use of that billing code. I'm so <laughs> proud. <laughs> and how many transitional care codes have you done? Zero. Okay. Is that just because it hasn't come up or because it's really yeah. just too arduous? It hasn't come up and I don't think I want it to come up. Meaning oh. I don't really want to be, I think that's more of like, I don't really want to be somebody's primary care doctor. That's well, I, TCM. You don't have to be their primary care. I know, doctor, I know, I know you don't have like to CCM. Be, yeah. But like, but you're kind of taking ownership for them post discharge. Right. And right. I don't, that's not really what yeah. I want to do. So CCM also then not yeah. doing any CCM. So you've done RPM. Have you done any annual wellness visits? No, I don't, oh. I don't really want to do that. I don't, I don't. <laughs> You know, I think it's like, do you want to do any of the codes that actually make money for doctors? No, not so much. I think there's too much emergency medicine in me where like, I just want to solve the acute issue and then just move on. Okay. So what you're telling me is that you are an urgent care telemed doc, which I think I knew, except for I forgot, I'm going to use the now term were an urgent care. Yeah. I mean, we haven't shut this thing down. What what we, what I am looking at is there are opportunities to provide healthcare in a direct pay model, you know, cash based model. And so but you've been, I mean, it's actually been kind of amazing. You've had a lot of interest. I'm going to use that, right? Like people reach out to you with these great yeah. ideas. Let's reflect just on a, just for a second from a business perspective. I mean, you have this sort of unique product, Canary Doc. People have found out about it in lots of different ways. But there's like a, a group of large organizations. What is your conversion rate for that type of organization? Like, it, let's say, you know, three or four people have reached out to you. Have any of these large organizations sort of turned it over for you? And yeah. Said, I mean, hundreds so- of patients. We're going to give you hundreds of patients. Or is it not what they int- Well, no, those opportunities have thought. come. But I, I, there's a, so, they've been offered to me and, it's just not what I want to do. Oh, with so some you, of, it's sort of mostly on you. Yeah, like rates. where there is a massive opportunities on the behavioral health side. And, and the, like, for example, 
there are these behavioral health centers that focus on addiction treatment and yeah. they need a physician to do a comprehensive HNP for every patient who goes into this kind of, you know, one month uh, rehab. And they just don't have doctors to do that in the region where they're at. And so they, they wanted me to do that for them. And it sounds great. But the problem is that these patients come from like a hundred high different, risk too. Well, they're that, but just from the mechanics of like getting paid, they come from like a dozen different payers in another state. And, the, and so you'd have to figure out, you'd have to get in, enrolled and credentialed with each of those payers, Every right? Every one of those And then you, each one has different rules for how they want this stuff documented. And you don't really know, like, again, like you're just creating all these loose ends and it's just like, no, uh, if you want to pay me like a set contracted cash amount to do this for you, I'm happy to do yeah, that. Yeah, because there's no amount of money that you could possibly take to then have to manage the people that would yeah. have to manage the dollars, which is exactly the opposite of what your basic experiment of Canary Doc was, which was, yeah. can a single doctor in a day when technology is readily available, create their own practice and take care of the revenue cycle yeah. and the billing. I mean, could you be a one-man show? And the answer is I, you could, but you could never make a living and it would maybe kill you in the end. If you want to use insurance payments. I think if you want to oh, do cash, if you want to do cash, you can do it. But if you want to get right. paid by insurance companies, I, nope, no way. Nope, 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 nope. Not as far as I've seen. If, if you have a better product, out there that I don't know about, <laughs> please come to me, you know? Yeah. That's so interesting. So, all right. So basically we have Alex is now a former, no, I'm kidding. <laughs> He's got this urgent care thing. It's been challenged by just general workflow. The workflow is just too hard. The workflow it cannot be, it cannot be simplified. It cannot, like you cannot work with efficiency and that's just it. And it's not worth the time and the effort. So let me just ask one quick question. Yeah. For every one hour of patient time that you put in in the past several months since you've been putting work into this, how much back-end time is it creating? Our, this includes documentation, which, by the way, you can't bill for. But just out of curiosity, you have face-to-face -face time with a client for one hour. How much work is it after that visit in your T model? Typically an additional two, at least. So if you do it's the possible. math. It's possible. The, yeah. You could see three, two and a half patients a day in an eight hour day and want to rip your hair out at the same time. Yeah, yeah. So might as well not work. Yeah. But you know what? I, I have learned so much. <laughs> and Well, I love yeah. the spin. That's the best. Yeah. It's like COVID, COVID, COVID. Like we all, none of us really want COVID, but we've all learned so much. And I think, you know, given when I wear my other hat of trying to, you know, help doctors launch remote patient monitoring programs. It just this just gives me so much more insight and empathy for for them and how how critical it is with any new program to make it as simple as possible to implement. Yeah, and the stakeholder pain points are it, it's it's unbelievable, and nobody does the prep work. Yeah, I mean, it, you know, it is yeah. what it is. All right, last last question about this. Tell me about your marketing exploration, because I think everybody and anybody would be like, oh, my God, he's got like medical licenses everywhere. How did you market? What was your conversion rate? What were any metrics you have about how to how, yeah. because your product is so exactly what you think people need, which is you're stuck at home. You can't go see your doctor. They may or may not have telemed set up within their own practice. <gasps> oh, my God, Dr. Moseni is available. Right. But you, so you put this out there to 
be seen by many thousands of people. What are your reflections? So, so I'll tell you the kind of different things I did. So yeah. one, so the most effective thing was actually to just take a walk at, in leisure <laughs> world with one of my more senior friends and to walk around and say hi to folks. This is a senior living community in Maryland. In case you're listening, you don't know. Oh leisure world. There's like 8,000 seniors who live there. Just walk around and hand out business cards. So that was probably the most effective thing. I also put ads in the leisure world. Oh yeah. That got thing. me zero. Uh, they got Zero. me nothing. And how many, and you would think that between eight and 10,000 people supposedly see that. Yeah, you would think. So that got zero. I also, I used Google ads and what got me some was very specific Google ads targeting a specific disease process. I hypothesized that, that like <laughs> senior females are a high likelihood to get UTIs. So I did some ads around, you know, have a UTI, <laughs> you know, come talk to me. And that definitely worked. Oh, um, wow. Did it pay for the Google ad itself? No, no or break even on the advertising even. Not oh enough. my God. Not enough. Not enough. And that uh, is crazy. I walked around my own neighborhood and put my business card in each mailbox, just like shoved it in there. And uh, there was, what else did I do? Oh my God. Hi, I'm a national telemed company and I am doing primary well, you know, I was marketing curious. in my neighborhood and someone else's neighborhood. But you know what? It's all, it's all white noise. Can you imagine how much white noise people see on the web? It yeah. lacks everything. But if you, you know, know the guy, I don't know, it speaks volumes about something. I don't know what that yeah. something is, but it's just Google ads and advertising and leisure world. Like it just, it doesn't maybe pay. Well, you know, I, after talking to a bunch of seniors, you know, because some of them just call me and they're just curious and I talk to them. One of the things I learned is that for seniors, the whole kind of urgent care model is something they don't totally understand. Oh, and a lot of them have a relation. They have a relationship with the okay, primary so care that's, doctor. That's really profound, actually. No, actually, they're it is. Not that is. And they felt like they would be cheating on their doctor if they were to talk to or see another doctor. Like they felt oh, like. I do remember you told me that. You, yeah. you were like, can I talk to your doctor and let them know I'm here? You know? Right. Like, no, no don't really. tell Dr. Smith. Yeah. Don't tell him. Yeah. And they felt like if they saw me, they'd have to give up their relationship with their primary ah, care doctor. Well, there you go. Wrapping it back up with Medicare. Basically, you can have a thousand doctors and Medicare Part B, original Medicare Part B, doesn't care. You can go but, see all the doctors you want, but they don't know that. They don't know that. They, didn't, they don't know that. Yeah. Our take-home message for our listeners who want to learn something about Medicare today, you can tell your patients and clients they don't have to worry about urgent care. No one's stealing their regular doctor's yeah. business. And just to maybe make them feel better, the doctor would probably be like, thank you so much yes. for at least this little teeny tiny problem, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Did you communicate back to some of their primary care doctors when they allowed you to? Like, is that something that Athena would have let you do? Yeah. yeah. And actually, Athena makes that very easy. You can send a, a visit summary to the primary. Yeah. yeah. Athena has a lot of great features, but I just feel like and I, and I think of the EMRs out there, I think it's one of the better ones. But I think there's an entire level of of user interface simplicity that needs to be built on top of that. You know that like your comment, like this is the stuff I do every day. Make it look, make the dashboard look like this. Yeah. And and you know one of the other things that's been really interesting is I've had a lot of doctors come to me and say. 
I want to do what you're doing. I want to set up my own practice. And I, so mm. I think there is this niche, like if somebody can come up with a platform and system that really makes it easy for solo docs to kind of set up their own thing. And it doesn't have to be urgent care necessarily. Like I've had many, many doctors from different specialties come to me and say, you know, how's this going for you? Can you teach me? Are you happy with the tools you're using? And unfortunately, I'm not happy with the tools I'm using. Like this is, hmm. th this was just too much for what I want to do. And I, I, if, if folks know of a better solution for solo docs who want to do this in a simpler way, reach out, let me know. I'm, I'm really curious what's out there. Yeah. I yeah. haven't seen it. I have to say Dr. Chrono did a pretty good job, but it still required some backend help. Like you really had to figure it out. I think the more templated it is that yeah. you can have more control over the templating, that's probably better. It sounds like you had to do a lot of work directly with Athena. I don't know. Like, I just wonder if because it's a web app, it they didn't simplify it as, like Dr. Chrono, which started off as an iPad app, right? Like it's sort of, mm -hmm. if you start with an app mentality, it forces you to have more binary choices, you know, not so much of like a, you know, like a million yeah. different choices, you know, your drop down menus you make. I don't know. I don't know. Maybe you'll restart the business this time. Just do it with Dr. Chrono and we'll do a one on one versus one. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. All right. So you're going to keep doing it. That's kind of exciting, but it's got to be part of a bigger learning experience. It's what it sounds like. Well, it, it's gonna. I'm gonna change the model where find the niches where folks can are happy to pay cash, and then and you'll do it exactly. This is it, and yeah. I can do four a day because that's just how long it's gonna take. Or you just set yeah. the you set the cadence basically a different way. Yeah. Yeah, I like that. It's a lot easier. Yeah. Anything else? No, I get all worked up about this topic <laughs> because EMR user interfaces as a rule are just garbage, whether you're talking about practice or enterprise solutions, the enterprise solutions are even worse. And it's, it just, it gets me riled up because when I was working in the hospitals, I, I went through so many EMR implementations and universally they are bad. They are horrendous. And you know, I, I, I battled it out with Epic and got on their Cerner. bad side. Cerner, I never used, but yeah, Epic, Meditech, uh, and some not to be named ones that are smaller and even worse, like, oh my gosh. And there, I mean, it is interesting that everyone's got to, everyone wants to go their own way, but healthcare would be made. I mean, I'm like not saying single payer, but maybe I'm saying single payer. It's just, it's like everybody's doing everything their own way. And so then there's just no interoperability and then it just keeps leading and lead. I, I don't know. I don't know. I think some of these things could just, if the government was like, everyone uses EMR, you know, then we would all use that EMR. Just use this form. We would just do it your way, the way you're yeah. asking us to do it. Yeah, it's it's a little socialist, maybe what I think to some degree. I mean, I don't really think there's a federalist papers for healthcare, but I don't know. Well, but, I think what you're saying is to standardize it, right? Yeah. Like, it, so you can still have a a non-socialist medicine, but just standardize it. Be clear about what the rules and requirements are. Sim simplify, right? There is a cost to complexity, right? So like, yeah, like you make it this complex so that you don't have this like 
opportunity for one or two percent fraud, but you just made it so the ninety-eight percent non-fraudulent people just can't use the program. Is so it you the have, tail wagging the dog? Yes. All of this is the tail wagging the yes. dog. You create all this complexity because of that one or two percent of docs who are fraudulent, and there are some, and they, we absolutely have to stop them. But then we've created a system that most doctors can't use. Well, what's the point? Well, and certain doctors at a certain point, if you're not, you know, technologically savvy or there's like a different amount of technological expertise or comfort, you really phase out people pretty quickly. I'm not really sure that that's always what you want because some of those docs are some of the best docs. Yeah. But God forbid they can't click and click and click. You know, there's there's value to to wisdom, you know, and it pushes a lot of docs out. But yeah. I know that's okay. All right, this has been amazing. Well, Catching up. <laughs> hopefully, our next episode will be more uplifting. But yeah. this was a by a huge learning experience, and without a doubt, it's gonna help me with all sorts of stuff in the future. So I, I don't regret it one bit. And who knows? Who, who knows what else this will lead to? But it, it it's been a really interesting experience. Yeah, I I'm so excited to hear more. All right, awesome. So more to come. Thanks, guys. Bye. Thank you. Bye. You have been listening to the Mastering Medicare podcast. Visit masteringmedicare.net for show notes, additional episodes, and valuable resources. 